Welcome to the podcast, Three Things That Matter. My name is Anne Blake, and in each episode, I interview a different guest. They are asked to bring three things that matter to them. These might vary from books and plants to places and occasions. These three things provide the jumping off point for discussion of the extraordinary in the everyday. Three Things That Matter is a Limerick Post podcast and is released every second Wednesday. In episode three of the second series, I speak to Dr. Lauren McNamara. Lauren is a poet, playwright, researcher and librarian. She has won numerous awards for her performance poetry and playwriting, including the Yates Tower Slam, the Monster Slam, the Galway Fringe Spoken Award and the Limerick Fringe Spirit of the Fringe Award. Her work has been widely published and has appeared on television and radio. She's a former drummoneer and Nina Literary Festival writer-in-residence. In 2019, she spent three months studying in Columbia University in New York City on an Erasmus Plus scholarship, where she gave a guest lecture on performance poetry workshops in schools. So, uh, what is your first thing? Perfect. So, I was putting a lot of thought into my things and spent some of today walking around my house <laughs> looking at everything I own. <laughs> um <laughs> And the first thing I picked, which is a bit of a strange one, but I thought it would be a nice one to start us off with, is a professional wrestling steel chair. <laughs> <laughs> which I got four or five years ago. Um, so I was a big like professional wrestling fan growing up. And right. I just loved the spectacle of it and the storytelling. And when I was like 22, 23, I decided to like put all my savings into buying tickets to see WrestleMania in America, which is like they're the biggest wrestling event in the world. Yeah. Um like seventy, eighty thousand people go to see it once a year. Um so when I was like twenty two I hopped on a plane to Florida on my own um <laughs> to see this wrestling show or this week of wrestling shows. And my main souvenir I brought back was a big, massive, like, steel chair with kind of a poster of the show, like, embroidered onto the the cushion part. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry to interrupt. It's amazing. (laughs) Go on, go on, go on. Um, And yeah, it was just this, like, it was a fantastic experience, but it was kind of like it was my first time outside of the country, not as part of a group or with friends or part of a volunteer organization of just me just leaving and going on my own. Yeah. So it felt kind of like a very much rite of passage kind of moment. Yeah. Um, and then also just this kind of fulfillment of all of these, you know, guys and girls I'd seen on TV for years and years growing up of seeing them all in the flesh and getting photos with them and seeing them perform um, and I got on TV actually while the show was on, like did a few audience shots. No way. And I think there's, there's a YouTube video somewhere of like two wrestlers making a big comeback that has like 40 million views and you can see me screaming in the audience. Oh. <laughs> I mean, like I would have a memory of wrestling, but I know we'd be a slightly different vintage. Um, yeah. But I mean, <laughs> would Hulk Hogan have been bashing about there at all? He was gone a little bit at that stage, but <laughs> so a few more like... Like the Undertaker was still there. Oh yeah, I remember him? Yeah. Um, there's a few few names that are still bopping around, many years later. Yeah. Um, and you brought the chair back. 
Yeah, like you bought, you get the chair as part of the package. Okay. Um, and I had awful trouble bringing it back as well. Yeah. I went to like, they had this like post office pretty much in the hotel. Okay. As you do. Um, and I brought it in there and they told me it would cost like 700 euro to ship it. And I'm like, <laughs> like I'd already, I, my life savings were gone at this stage. <laughs> I went on the wrestling ticket. <laughs> um, so I just chanced my arm and I brought it to the airport with me. Yeah. And the guy working at the airport looked at me and he just went, ah, another wrestling chair. That's 20 euro and threw it on the page. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Um, amazing. So yeah, so that's my, my kind of prized possession that I just use sometimes when I need like, we need a spare chair now in the house. Or well, this is what I was going to ask you, like what, like you've had it a while now, like how... Is it in use? Like, is it? Does it have a, a particular function, or is it just the spare chair? It's it's kind of sometimes the spare chair, but I also kind of just it's kind of like an ornament as well. Yeah. <laughs> of, of this crazy experience of going to Florida five years ago, um, so it gets used in you know when we run out of chairs, mostly in before COVID times when we actually had guests in the house. But, of course um, and it, it wouldn't i mean is it comfortable like i mean you're you're yeah you, you've just re congratulations you are recently a, a doctor am i right yeah a doctor doctor Kamara, <laughs> my goodness i mean did you use it to, to to sit in and write your your thesis or anything like that occasionally occasionally it's <laughs> i love the idea of writing my phd on a wrestling chair <laughs> <laughs> um it occasionally gets brought out or if someone's playing music, they might sit in it or, um, so it's nice. It does have little links into artistic and work life. Um, and just often again, it's kind of nice to see it because it usually comes out when friends or family are over. So it's almost like a social thing and a bit of a story starter as well. I, I was going to say like, where, you know, where did this come from? <laughs> but, <laughs> but like, I was just thinking that um, like you're telling me about this, and we're 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 on a call, but I don't. I suppose I don't have a, a visual in my head. Like what? Well, what I can show you. Well, you can show me. For the, well, the people at home. I can do. I can do an audio description. I'm. I'm. I'd want to. I'd want to be able to do that kind of thing. Oh, yes. There, and then a little kind of cushion with like all the. All the, the faces and all the people. So this is kind of like almost yeah. a standard foley chair that you'd get uh, maybe in a, you know, if, if you're using a room or something like that or a classroom where, where these these chairs that fold out and but they're cushy. It's kind of comfy. It's cushy. Yeah, it's not one of those hard plasticky ones. And it's got the faces of a load of browsers on the seat. <laughs> so you can sit on them. <laughs> you can sit on that so you win. You win every wrestling win match. Every time. And was was res I mean, like it's obviously as you said, it was something you were mad into like when you were a kid. Like was it always something? Was it immediate? Yeah, it was something I kind of got into when I was like 12 or 13 I think just because some of my cousins and friends were into it um and just kind of the characters and I think I think all the aspects that brought me to like theater and performing later in life yeah um and like when it's good I think it's just this beautiful kind of storytelling that's done without words a lot of the time like it's almost like dance or performance um and it's not always good <laughs> but when it's good it can be very good it it's one of these things that I kind of know about and I I you know, like when I think of it, and obviously there was that show, uh, Glow, that... Um, yes. Oh, that's so good. 
yeah like yeah. where where it's this combination of incredible athleticism and staged and mm-hmm. uh, like I, I I think it I mean obviously this show Globe threw a bit of light in it but certainly unless you're interesting you're thinking okay there's boxing which is literally <laughs> something you win or lose and then there's 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 stage fighting in shows where it's choreographed but this is this in between thing where mm-hmm. these people are they're kind of playing a part and it's all I won't say it's fixed because it that's I mean w- would you say fixed yeah scripted I think is the word they usually use so you know, like you know they're not going out there to hurt each other, but it's also, unfortunately, hurts. I think at the same time, it's not um an easy thing to do from what people how people describe it, um, but it is just that, like it's story. Like in my head, it's just storytelling. It's just working with a partner or working with a team of like trying to put on this story and this like connecting with the audience in this live manner. That, like obviously, you know from theater. Mm. Just trying to get that audience on your side or trying to like even piss off the audience. Um, of just having that, you know, not always, but you know, that good, bad divide and just letting, you know, a crowd feed into that and be part of that. Yeah, and you um, and you yourself, like you your combination of like you're a writer and a performer and you also have written work that you haven't performed as well. Like mm-hmm. would you feel like you said earlier that this wrestling would have probably connected with that part of you possibly and you know like I do a lot of performance poetry what's performance poetry but a wrestling promo really (laughs) (laughs) it's all the same thing (laughs) mildly aggressive picking a fight with people (laughs) (laughs) it's rhythmic it's um it's rhythmic yeah and and I think it's interesting even the story that it is connected to so you were saying it was my first time being out of the country, not in a group, not in, on a holiday, mm. not, or, or sorry, not not with uh, something. And as you're saying, it, I was like, God, <laughs> I was thinking to myself, have I ever just gone somewhere on my <laughs> own for no reason other than and like, and I, I don't know if I have, to be honest. Like, I, mm. I would tend to go, if I even did go see a show or go to something, it, it would probably be with people or with, with at least one other person. So that alone, I think, is, I mean, what yeah. was it? Were you on your own for the, like, did you make, make friends or? Is yeah, it? like you met, I met a lot of just random people. And again, I think that part of Florida was kind of just like infested with wrestling fans. <laughs> They're just everywhere. And, you know, like there'd be T-shirts or hoodies, like you'd always recognize them. <laughs> yeah. And you just kind of befriend, like I befriended this random group of people just from England who are over there. And I think kind of like adopted me for a couple of days because they had a car. So it like drive me to some of the shows. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was a really nice sense of community. And like, I had this like silly memory of, I was like, you kind of buy tickets for a couple of shows. So I was sitting beside the same people a lot of the time. And there was this guy from Scotland who, um, there's this moment again where these two like older wrestlers came back for the first time in years and years. And it was almost this big emotional moment. And it's like, tall Scottish guy who I'd met a couple of hours earlier we just turned to each other and just hugged each other <laughs> in the middle of like a crowd of 80,000 people <laughs> oh um, what was the name the Scottish wrestler I feel like I'd have heard maybe of a Scottish well, well sorry he was just the, the person in the crowd with me was just oh this he was Scottish Scottish. guy. Oh, I get yeah. you the two yeah the, the two on yeah. sorry yeah the Undertaker wasn't Scottish was he or am I making that up no he was 
from Texas. Okay, I think I, think I just I'm just making things up like uh, like he did, he did have bright red hair originally, so maybe that's the <laughs> that's where he lodged in my head. <laughs> um, yeah, I remember why obviously watching it when I was small, and I didn't understand it was scripted, and you know. I'd be like, there, you know, I'd be getting really feeling upset for the injustice if someone like <laughs> came up behind someone and sneakily, you know, attacked them without them looking, and I'd be getting all head up and like, that's not fair. And then realizing, oh yeah, they, they're making you feel that deliberately. Like they, it's all they are villains, and like, what well, isn't there a term for them? They're um... uh, heels and baby faces. So baby faces are the good guys, and heels are the bad guys. Yes. Yes, I, I, I heard about this on, I think it might have been on Blind Boy or something. He was he was interviewing someone, but... Yeah, he had Sami Zayn on, I think, a few months ago, who was a wrestler um, from the Middle East, I think. I can't remember what... Or I think he's Canadian with Middle Eastern background. He was talking about a lot of different political stuff, but a really interesting guy, a really interesting... And that... That was a really interesting podcast. It was. And, and I think he talked about that he unusually swapped... Like he was a heel and then became a baby face mm. or Yeah. Not that unusual anymore. No. <laughs> they do that a lot, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe maybe mm. at the time. But in the meantime, you have this like gas memento that I uh, even the notion of you coming mm. through the airport carrying the chair. <laughs> <laughs> Wrapped up in plastic so it wouldn't get damaged. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean God, you, you wouldn't be getting on a Ryanair flight with that now. They, they'd be charging mm. you. They'd happily charge you the $700 or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's that's just, um, that's fab. That's gorgeous. Uh, and a, a very lovely thing and, 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 and very colourful. I know this is an audio medium, but um, mm. it, is a, it is a very lovely, colourful, uh, and as you say, a story starter, which which is mm-hmm. it, why it's a good it's a good and it's a good mm-hmm. for this podcast. So um, so let's let's move on to your your second thing. Okay, so my second thing that I brought was something quite different. Okay, <laughs> which is a necklace that I got quite recently. Uh, my fiance Ashlyn got it for me for graduation. Wow. Um, she is the best person ever. <laughs> um. But it's just a little silver chain that she got with a kind of kind of little infinity symbol on it. Um, and it sounds very cheesy, but it was just that kind of lovely moment of I finished college a few weeks ago. I graduated and um, for anyone who knows me, I've been in college. I was in college for nine or ten years. I did like three degrees in a row, pretty much. Um, and it was this very kind of sudden end that happened in the middle of COVID. And it was very strange. Mm. And it felt like, it felt almost like something was missing or something felt like it empty. But then the actual graduation ceremony and that little necklace, which kind of just all fed into it, kind of made it feel like everything was coming together. And it was this lovely moment and just that little like symbol of the infinity sign. It was kind of, you know, everything has changed, but everything is same, is the same. You know, it's over, but it's always just, just beginning. And it kind of felt really symbolic of all of that, that happening. Um, and it just kind of felt like life was kind of connected up again, kind of coming out of lockdown and doing something normal and doing something happy. Yeah. Oh, that's gorgeous. That's, um, I mean, it's such a strong symbol. Um, I, I will echo with you as, I mean, th- these aren't my things. This is, this is your podcast, mm-hmm. but uh, I'm revealing 
um, to learn. Uh, I have a, I have an infinity tattoo on my wrist, which I've been told is incredibly cheesy, but uh, <laughs> I'm very comfortable. I'm very comfortable with my cheese. Uh, <laughs> it suits my personality. So, um, but no, it is. It's. An, it's. I. I think. It's. I think what's been really. Um, kind of strong in this whole time uh, especially I suppose at the time of recording there's been a re-emerge like a re-emergence in society the last number of months I know we're kind of in um, in danger of losing that or maybe things closing down again but I think obviously a graduation is an incredibly emotional time it's incredibly significant and uh, no matter what (laughs) but graduating in the circumstances of COVID like I I've recently went to a uh, a classical me- a lunchtime concert in St. Mary's Cathedral with my, with my dad's free lunch ICO free lunchtime concert and I realised I hadn't seen an orchestra in I, I don't know probably since long even before COVID but they started playing and it was the music was lovely but my reaction, I actually immediately was holding back tears. Like, kind of really caught me by surprise. And I think it was, obviously this was a very beautiful thing, but it's quite a, a usual uh, a concert. It's not that amazing, but I realised I haven't experienced this in so long and it's so significant and it's walloping me with emotion. <laughs> so I can only imagine to graduate after nine years anyway, but in the circumstances of certainly people not graduating, say, last year, the weight of that is going to be very, 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 very different and, and very heightened than, like, you know, I just imagine it's really, <laughs> you know, I it would be a very, very significant day regardless, but kind of extra. Yeah, no, it's just, it felt like a real culmination and a real, like a culmination and a coming back almost again, just that kind of both sides of it. And again, meeting an awful lot of people I hadn't met in so long because, you know, we weren't, we were working from home for a year and a half leading up to it. Um, I hadn't got to see so many friends, so many people I'd come up for years and years with before that. And even all the staff members, like I was working in Mary Eye in the college in Limerick while I was studying there. So, you know, the whole community of people and getting to not have them all there, unfortunately, because there was limited numbers, but we got a lot of staff members um, because we were a very small class. My family got to come, my parents, um, Ashley, my fiance, and it was just really, really wonderful and really, and I had um, like only a couple of months beforehand um, kind of come out. So this was kind of my first big event out as well. Wow. So it's just kind of all of these little different aspects of life coming together into this one moment of just just kind of happiness and just kind of like, you know, celebrating with my friends and with my family and with, you know, my community of people I worked with for so many years. And it was just the most, just the most lovely day. It was a lovely event. It's lovely to have this um, object connected to that that in a way embodies embodies that moment for you and it, and it's a moment obviously like 
you know, li- life life goes on. Who knows? You might have more graduations than you let. And you yes, if I know anything about academics, they love yeah. studying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I think that might be gone a little bit <laughs> how does it how does it feel to be out out, out of, in the real world as such it's strange I actually I'm working in Mary now in the library in Mary which is really nice so I'm kind of like helping the poor panic students at the moment get ready for their exams um and it's a lovely place to work so kind of I'm out but not out but it's kind of nice not to have it hanging over your head because it's hard to do. Like, I love my project. I did my PhD in um, disability studies, mm. um, which was really, like, I have a little sister who is an intellectual disability, and I think she kind of inspired the work, and it was fantastic, and I loved doing it, but it's hard to do one project for, like, four years. Um, so it's kind of lovely to have it gone <laughs> a little bit it, and not have it hanging over your head. That's what I, I, I've, I've heard this joke. I may I might have even joked about this before. I remember seeing a cartoon of someone like lying on their deathbed going, I'm so glad I did that PhD, said no one on their deathbed ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a tough one. And like I got I met lovely people during it. I got some great experiences um, I got to do an exchange program. I lived in New York for three months. Mm. I got to do, like, I got to teach, which is just the most wonderful thing in the world if you get the chance to do it. Um, but it's 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 tough. <laughs> and I don't think anyone really goes through it and, you know, without breaking a sweat. Oh, well, it, it's, um, it's funny that the... You know the PhD. I, actually, I was talking to 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 James Lawler on on a previous episode. Uh, yeah. So sorry about re- repeating myself, but like, um, <laughs> just that PhDs used to be like much longer. Too they they might go ten years, and certainly in Fra- yeah. in France and Italy or on mainland Europe, you could easily be doing a PhD for ten to fifteen years. So fair play for when I was in New York, all the staff members kept asking me if I had picked my project yet. And this was the end of my third year. And I'm like, I'm almost finished. But I think even in America still it's seven to eight years is the average. Wow. Oh my God. Yes. You're like, I... yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm still thinking about it, but I... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'll get there. Yes, well no, it's um the like third level is it's such a, a lovely place to be. You know, it's a lovely place to to kind of be in it's it's comfortable and 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 like that there's so many different types of jobs in there do you know um mm. as you as you you know you're still in there because uh merry eye it's nice and cozy um <laughs> but but like for me because you are a writer and um and i and you recently um had some work staged in um as part of halloween yes. In the commercial, yeah, we put on um, Spooky Place, which was, um, we put it on for two nights in the commercial, which is just myself and a few friends of mine. Um, We wrote like a series of short kind of Halloween themed comedy plays. Um, And we just, we just wanted to do some live theatre. It had just been so long and we were just like, look, screw it, just let's do it. Um, So like we started writing the plays and two months later, we were performing them, or less than two months. We were just, we're doing it, we're getting them out there. 
it's going to be fun. And it was great. And we got like a really nice, like, it's a small little venue and we had some bit of social distancing. So, but with those restrictions, we sold out both nights. So we were very happy. And again, it was just so lovely to be with a crowd again. Oh, yeah. And so lovely to be writing and being creative and performing. Oh, and, and you just were you, were you performing as well? Yeah, I perform. I did a little. I acted in one of them, and I was kind of the MC for the night as well. Oh wow! Okay, so, so you and and how what and and I I do apologize because I if I had been I was away when they were on, and I would love to have gone. But, you know, I'm I'm trying to go to as much theater as I can before everything <laughs> like should no. should things ever go again. I really appreciate live work, and I'm I'm not going to take it for granted. But um, what what was the gist of the, your spooky play? So I wrote two of them. So one of them was about um, a girl who was with her brother and halfway through the play, her brother realizes there's an audience there after hitting his head um, and is terrified (laughs) and she can't see them at all. And he keeps trying to convince her that they're there. Um, And at the end, it's revealed that she knew all along and was just messing with him. Um, And then the second play was about um, witches. So it was about two witches, or well, two women who had been accused of witchcraft and pretty much talking about how ridiculous it is that they keep being, you know, locked up because someone saw them use a pencil or someone saw them, um, you know, use, giving medicine to children. Very good. Um, so kind of playing on the tropes of witchcraft. Excellent. Excellent. Um, yeah, as I said, I was, I, was, I was sorry to miss it, but it certainly, I mean, there's a lot to be said as well for... Um, like a short, sharp shock. Do you know? Like, yeah. let, let's just put it on in two months. Like, you know, I I do like I do like a long run in to write a show and spend time mm-hmm. and develop it. But sometimes there's a bit of magic with just, yeah. just. And sometimes you need to just play. I think and just be creative, just to get those. You know, just get excited about making things, and you can kind of work on your long term projects as well. But just to kind of keep that spark. Alive. absolutely you need to keep keep it playful um and and like that there we go like this um this this object you you started us off with was is very uh beautifully significant and simple uh present that you received and uh and it has led us to playfulness you know that's that's the joy of of it and what what would your your third thing be so my third thing then um which is too big to carry down, so it's up there. Okay. <laughs> um, is an electric piano that I got for my parents for my 18th birthday um, that I sometimes play while sitting on the wrestling chair. <laughs> <laughs> while wearing the, while um, wearing the necklace. <laughs> while wearing the necklace. Just to, <laughs> I'll get a photo of all that happening just for the, you know, the advertising. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I, w- I started college when I was like 17, just almost 18. Um, and when I started, I kind of just wanted to do everything and try everything and, you know, get a taste of the world. And one of the things I did when I started, which kind of helped kind of ground me and just find a little bit of, that was very much the time I think I was trying different creative things because I wasn't really, like I did, I liked writing when I was younger, but didn't really do anything with it or didn't have the chance to do much um, with it growing up so I started taking piano lessons and then about 
two months later was my 18th birthday so my parents got me an electric piano um and it was just this lovely you know i most people know me would like if they know me in the arts it would be through writing and performing not through music because even though i love music i'm not very good at it <laughs> um but yeah it was just it, it's a really fond memory from starting college and that kind of period of new beginnings and trying different things and finding myself a little bit um and after the first year of college I didn't really play it an awful lot very regularly because other things kind of came up um but then over lockdown um when there was like little else going on the piano kind of became my kind of solace and artistic outlet again Mm. so I started like I downloaded one of these training apps and I played it like an hour of an hour a day every day so for i say the first six or seven months of lockdown wow. um i was kind of getting that lovely thing that was kind of always there when i needed it and then it could take a step back when i didn't um That's gorgeous yeah and then i think also is that just connection to like family and like giving that nudge towards being creative and being artistic and trying something new and would was there anything in particular you learned over lockdown any any tune you were like yes i got that one down um it was i don't know i i was learning from this app and it i think it had really simplified versions of loads of songs so you felt like you were the best pianist ever but then i say if you actually recorded yourself it was probably very <laughs> you were actually only playing like three notes over and in a row <laughs> um but but there was loads, yeah, there was lots of little bits. And I remember when I started learning, I kind of had this one song stuck in my head and I don't know where I came from it. It was from the movie Amelie, the French movie. And have you ever oh, seen yeah. it? Um, I don't know if I'd ever even seen the movie at that point, but I'd come across this song and I was just obsessed with learning it. And my piano teacher kind of gave in eventually after me bickering. <laughs> and it took me about six months because it's, it's not a starter piece of music. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so I kind of had this thing where after about six months of playing piano, I could barely play scales, but I could play this really complicated piece of music from a French movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, is is that the one that which, goes? Um, ba-da-dum, ta-da-dum, ba-da-dum, yeah, ta-da-dum, 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 um, I yeah, I don't know the name of it, but I know it because it's so gorgeous. Yeah. And. I think uh, for our wedding, myself and Jenny had considered it at one point for to use it. So, yes. But that's not an easy piece of music. No. For, a, for someone who never played piano before. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, it's really complicated on like both hands. It's not just, you know, an easy bass and a complicated melody or vice versa. It's very... Um, yeah, I, I don't know why my piano teacher let me do it. I think he just give, got sick of me asking. It, it's a funny thing with an, an instrument like, well, most instruments that require both your hands, you know, they both have to do different mm. things. And I mean, we use our hands all the time to do different things, but I th- I think it's kind of near like when, I don't know if you drive or if you've learned to drive or anything, but mm-hmm. um, at any, I remember just um, the first time, my first ever driving lesson, it was just... Uh, my feet and hands all have to do different things and how how just the body your body is just rebelling like no i can't do loads of different things at once like but you always do walking down the street <laughs> requires my feet to do different things to my hands and i don't know if you ever sat at a drum kit especially like 
it's just you know very humbling if you've never played drums before but that uh tune which i don't i don't know off the top of my head i don't know the name of it but i think it's called pardon my awful french pronunciation isn't like competing the ultra ete okay i think something about another another summer ultra ete or something or maybe um but (laughs) oh god where's google when you need it (laughs) (laughs) why did you make me turn my phone off Anne? (laughs) um yeah but the left hand is doing this kind of pulsing Bum, 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 you know, and, and, and the right hand is doing diddle and diddle, you know, they're very different things, which, as you say, or as I just said, like, it's humbling uh, experience. But I love the idea of you going like, where's Middle C? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Tosh, (laughs) hang on while I play this. (laughs) Yeah, that was pretty much it. (laughs) I, I don't know what an apprecio is, but I can tell you. <laughs> That's and um, how old were you when 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 you learned that? So just just gone eighteen. Right. So seventeen and eighteen, yeah. Um, and like I played, I played guitar as well, so I had a little bit of music knowledge. But guitar didn't like go over to piano as easily as I hoped it would. <laughs> like, I still find guitar a lot easier than piano. And I struggle a lot more with piano, even though I love it. <laughs> I, it's it's funny. I mean, I'm sure there's lots of schools that thought of this. Um, I learned piano when I was small. Like, it was the first instrument I learned of any kind. And then, then I discovered the guitar, and, and that kind of became my my love. But I felt the piano was really helpful to start on, because it's so, vis- it's so yeah. visual, you know. You can literally see... Mm-hmm a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth. You know, you can see the gaps between the notes in the way that a guitar, you play random shapes <laughs> that make the sound, but it's not as, I mean, piano is literally a way, a map of music. But I can yeah. imagine if I had started on the guitar, that, that would have been tricky. Mm-hmm. I think, like you were saying, the muscle memory as well, just of what your body gets used to and... Like going back playing guitar and piano, if you haven't for a few months and you don't think you remember anything and then your fingers just play. And I think whatever they just start on, maybe that's like you're saying, that's what they get used to or that's what they understand. And then a whole new instrument or a whole new system may not always be very easy <laughs> to transfer. Yeah, over. it's almost like learning a new language. You know, yeah. it, your personality is... I often think of people who who maybe find themselves in a country where the English isn't their first like it's not their first language, and they seem so limited. But it, like they're this amazing person who's been on Earth this long, but they're just they don't have the language to express all their experiences and that. And it's like you could be this amazing instrumentalist who then, if you pick up something you don't play, you immediately look. Like you can't play music, <laughs> it's like no, I do. I just don't play the tuba. <laughs> <laughs> but it, I, I think what what's you made an interesting point there about the, the the muscle memory and 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 the things you you discover. And I I think sometimes like creativity in general. Um, when you're talking about playing with um. With the, with with the shows you put on, just that sense of play and creativity. Like we can think ourselves into a corner and feel like we can't do anything. Mm-hmm. And often just trying something out, 
you can end up really surprising yourself. Did you find that? Yeah, I think definitely. Um, I remember something, it's definitely, it's happened in shows and it's happening just, I know yourself, but like, especially as a writer, performer, um, like sometimes when I've done shows and I've performed in them as well, you kind of rewrite in the middle of rehearsals. Um, sometimes very late in rehearsals. <laughs> but that's kind of where the more the most fun happens, especially when it's collaboration mm. and when you're just trying things to see what happens and seeing what might work. Um, and I remember doing a few of the, the bell table a few years ago I had like week-long workshops mm. happening, um, which were amazing. And I remember just like having the space to play and try things with other artists was just the most inspiring feeling and the most inspiring like you come out every day just feel like you could do anything and write anything and create anything and I think you know obviously art has to be work as well we have to play in that side of it but I think if you lose that sense of fun with it it's hard to really create I find anyway after that. yeah like things take hard work because everything takes hard work but it doesn't have mm. to be unpleasant like hard work is is really enjoyable like if you work hard yeah. at something you enjoy it might be take your time it might you know but ultimately it should be something that at your core you enjoy and, and um there's often a bit of an illusion like i even have it about other art forms that somebody just knows exactly what they're doing and they show up with a ready-made product. Like, you know, everyone is discovering and uh, kind of um, walking with the blindfold and, and feeling and figuring out what they're going to do by just trying things out. And so much of what holds us back, I think is, as a kid, you're, you play and you just try anything and you're kind of unafraid. And then teenage years kick in where you're terrified and you don't want, you don't want to, like the worst thing you could do is fail. Like, and not even I talk about in school, but like in front of your friends, you know, like it's just everything's about humiliation. And then you realize like that's the only way you discover anything is just try things out and mess it up. And it's when you get precious about yeah. it. Definitely. I remember I used to do a lot of um, writing workshops in schools mm. with kids and like primary school kids are wonderful because they just have no inhibitions. <laughs> they'll just say anything and try anything and they'll write whatever pops into their head and they come up with these amazing creative things. And like it's the same with teenagers. They have the most incredible ideas and the most incredible ways of seeing the world. But you almost have to, in every workshop, kind of break down those mm. walls first to make them actually believe that their ideas are valid. Yeah. Because they don't always, unfortunately. Um, and it's very sad because, again, there's just, like, once you can get past those walls, there's the most amazing people and ideas behind them. It, it's, it's, um, it is one of these just discoveries of, of life. You, you know, I don't know, as somebody once said, like, why is it when you ask kids like who wants to do something put your hand up like they all like i mean at a in a fun setup like let's say at a mm. you know if you're running a drama workshop or if you're running something whereas if you're running say a a training or something for adults and you say put your hand up if you want to do something no hands go up now there's a lot of, a lot of lessons have been learned in life maybe and there's a lot of reasons for that yeah. but 
I realized in, in the in any work I'm doing, any creative work I'm doing, uh, generally mainly, let's say, if I'm directing a show, I'm trying to get the people I'm working with into a state of play that is close to being childlike, not childish, but childlike, mm-hmm. and that freedom you had in a kid when you went out on a Sunday to the field or wherever you went and made things up with your pre- with your friends you know trying to get back to that place and it, it, it's hard work but it's yeah. lovely when you can even to bring it back what you were saying earlier of like watching wrestling when you were a kid and you didn't realise it was scripted like that magic of just trying to capture that moment of suspend your disbelief and just be in the moment yeah, yeah it's 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 um it's a lovely place to be and it's a lovely place to try and bring people to and and I think it's always like and yeah and it's a nice place to to be as a viewer you know I, I like I like mm-hmm. being whipped up I like being carried away actually something <laughs> I, I discovered once um which you might you might try this out sometime on your keyboard if you ever want to if you ever feel limited it's a little keyboard hack now if you want to just play and make sound that is all pleasant and is going to just be kind of a bit meditative is just play the black keys. And if you just play with just the black keys, it actually all sounds quite lovely. And you play with the um, the sustain pedal a bit. And whatever mm-hmm. intervals they're at, it's rare you'll make an unpleasant sound if you just have a go at all them at different things. So there, that's my little, my little life hack for your... <laughs> <laughs> There's my evening start to that. <laughs> you can see Lauren releasing videos <laughs> on Instagram <laughs> of all these like meditative uh, keyboard, uh, you know, opuses with you playing all the black keys. But they update, they, they're kind of magic that way. <laughs> but um, I have to say, Lauren, thank you so much for, for joining me for um, Three Things That Matter. And uh, I have to say, it's... I always love this. I love I love getting to do this podcast, but I always love the way the things are so unexpected and they always bring us to unexpected places as well. And um, for your own work, because you are a writer and you are an artist in Limerick, where can people find you or follow what you're up to? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Lauren MacPoet. And... <laughs> I'm on Instagram as I think Lauren McPoet as well, or maybe Lauren McNamara. Okay. One of those. You'll, you'll, <laughs> you'll find her w- with with some form of that. I like Lauren McPoet. That yeah. is that is a good one. <laughs> but um, no, I, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to Three Things That Matter with me, Anne Blake, a Limerick Post podcast produced by Eric Fitzgerald. Theme tune is composed by myself and performed and recorded by my lovely brother, David Blake. You can follow Limerick Post on Twitter at Limerick Post. If you enjoyed the podcast, please let others know and rate it on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at AnneBlake78, on Instagram at AnneBlakePlay, and the podcast on the hashtag 3ThingsTM. <laughs>